Welcome to Visibility Unlimited Podcast, hosted by Leslie Short from the Cabo Group. We will be covering topics that are important to diversity and inclusion, company culture, leadership, and the role that each of us plays within those topics. And I bring four decades of experience when I created the Cabo Group to advise companies and organizations how to expand beyond their current culture through the diversity and inclusion lens. My focus is designed to seek growth through open conversation, conflict coaching, trainings, and workshops. I firmly believe that issues don't go away just because programs are in place, but by continually evolving and having a channel to listen, to understand the people who are our greatest assets. I am also a speaker, chaplain, activist, certified mental health aide, mediator, conflict, and transformational coach, as well as a CEO and leadership advisor. I look forward to my new book, They and Them, Making It We and Us, a realistic approach to diversity and inclusion, which will be available January 2021. Hi, and thanks for joining. Tonight's conversation is on race, being blackish, mixish, and interracial dating. Do we even care in 2020? And welcome, everyone. This is now week 12, um, asterisk week 13, really, because we took a break last week. Um, but I'm glad to see everyone joining us here today for our discussion here. Um, and the title of this, uh, this week's webinar is Blackish, Mixish, Do We Care in 2020? And there were a few questions um, to mull over and prepare for this week's conversation. Um, the first one being, how do you identify and why? Second one, um, how do you want others to identify you? Third one, your thoughts on interracial dating. And then lastly, what boxes do you check, i.e. the census, job applications, uh, college applications, grants, so on and so forth. And want to uh, get this discussion started. But before, before we do that, always lay the ground rules here. If you have a question, it makes it a lot easier for us if you just put your question or your comment, put a number next to it, go in sequential number, Obviously, the first person, number one, number two, so on and so forth. It helps us keep track, and as well as Leslie can take a look at it and uh, and and basically ask the question. Uh, I mean, basically answer the question. Um, feel free to uh, to contribute into this conversation. Um, we do love the open forum. We definitely want to hear everyone's thoughts and opinions on this. Um, and this last thing, just try to keep it concise because we do run an hour. So, um, so the, the <laughs> so if you have a second question, get back in line again, you know, to ask it. But um, with that being said, again, thank you for joining us, and um, I'll hand it over to Leslie. I thank you, everyone, for joining. I'm really excited to to talk about this topic. Um, I welcome you, missed you last week, and so let's just jump in. Mixage, blackish. What box do you check? The reason I, I really started this is because I was sitting somewhere in a training 
and there was a mixed woman that was next to me and up on the screen was all the boxes that people normally check. African-American, Indian, the whole thing. She's like, where is my box? And I was like, interesting. Do you want a box? She's like, no, but that's not the point. Uh, I never get a box. I'm mixed. And it very clearly says on every application, check a box. And therefore, I'm always forced to identify one way as opposed to my whole self. So that always made me really start, made me start thinking because we all know how much I hate just checking a box to begin with, that I feel it limits us. But this, this thought of identity and where do you go? And you don't even have to be mixed to feel this way. You know, there's, you're not black enough. You know, I, I would get that. I was an Oreo. I was black on the outside and white on the inside because I danced ballet and because I had certain privileges growing up. So automatically I was an Oreo. I remember one of the guys I was in seminary with and he used to say he was a Twinkie. He was Korean. So he was yellow on the outside and white on the inside because that's the way that he was raised. And I remember we started a school project by him saying Twinkie and me saying Oreo and confusing everyone sitting in the room. But it was about how we identify ourselves and how the outside world kind of forces us to identify. Then you have, you know, I have friends that are mixed, you know, Mixed people that say, I identify both ways. There are some that say, I get to pass. And we get to pass back in the days is where so much into discussing race and history. If you were light, especially as an African-American person, you obviously got to work in the big house. You were, well, slave masters raped who they wanted to rape. I'm not what they said. So that, that, that they just picked. But you had certain privileges of being light, okay? Then even as Blacks would go to clubs amongst themselves, they would hold up a brown paper bag. And if you were darker than the brown paper bag, you couldn't get into the fancy club that Blacks were running. So there it was this thing, the brown paper bag. So there is always, and I, I know there's classism in different parts, but when you are mixed and you're raising mixed children um it becomes the identity of where are you who are they now i'll never forget a couple lived down the street from my parents and was a black mother white father and two gorgeous little girls and when they got to school everyone was like well what are you if, you're, if your daddy's white and your mommy's black and i'll never forget because they like carmel and they were so proud of that. And that's what their parents taught them. That's the color you are, you're Carmel. You are mixed of all of us and mixed cultures. So that's great when you're in your house. That is great. What happens when you step out of your house and you're forced to have to feel like you have to decide which way you wanna be? You know, I have someone here, a very good friend of mine, son who's French. Now his father is French black. His mother is French white. His father was adopted in France and never really knew his adopted family, has just found out his adopted family, clearly was mixed black and white there. 
but his son identifies as being black, but his son looks white. And so that fight for him to always have to prove his black part, yet always have to prove or be cool enough for the white part. So the question is always, do we care in 2020? I think people love to say they don't care and look how pretty your hair is and you have curls and I see you laughing, Scott. And you know, it, it, it because that is, oh, your complexion is so pretty. What are you made of? Now, I remember being said, being called exotic and when I lived in Europe. And I would be like, what does that mean? And people would be like, oh, you know, you're exotic. No, I don't know. And they're like, well, you're melange. So in Europe and in France, melange is mixed. And I was like, well, someone needs to call my parents that are both from South Carolina, who now live in New Jersey, and tell them that I'm mixed. Now, my great-grandmother was pure Cherokee Indian. And we all know half the Black folks say we all got Cherokee Indian in us. So we're just going to leave that as another side conversation. But, you know, that is the case. But no, I am not. I'm not exotic. I'm not Melange. I am African American. And that, but in their minds, they would not accept that. For them to accept me, I had to be exotic in their mind. I was a dancer. I was, okay, she's American, whatever. There's that exotic. Now let's add into the fact of dating. Before we, before we yes. go there, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Uh -oh. uh, there. Um, one, I'm just curious. I mean, I just noticed that you you kept referring and you kept saying African-American. And so I just want to step in and, and say this, like, I don't identify myself as African-American. Somebody asked me what I am. I'm black. That's what it is. I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm black as well. And I think it's 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 one of these things that kind of you know, society always wants to put you in a category. And I'll tell you about a, a conversation I just had earlier today in regards to it. So I've worked in corporate America my entire life. Um, I, I grew up in, I grew up in a, a neighborhood that was, everybody looked like me, but obviously I don't talk like I come from that particular neighborhood. And so I was, I was on a call today with a potential business partner. I'd never met this person before. And they asked the question and they said, well, hey, like, where are you from? That's the, I guess that's the courteous way of seeing word. Exactly. So I told him, I was like, what do you mean? Like, where am I from? And so I said, are you trying, are you trying to ask me what I am? And he was like, yeah, because you didn't have an accent. So you don't sound like you're from New York or whatever. And it was like, I'm black if you're curious about it, you know, and having to go through that and explain, you know, those things. So I think that's one of the things that you know, when you're talking about self-identifying as well, it's like, what do people want to be self-identified as and not necessarily going into checking off a box? See, but you now you're going to make me tell my age. Always got to try to push me in a corner, tell my age. Anyway, I mean, when I was saying African-American, right? <laughs> this was in the 90s, I'll just say that, and it was in France. So to say Black in France is African. And so you also have to know for which culture you're having the conversation. And now I've said in the last month, I have used the word black as describing myself more than I ever have in my 50 something years, because I have never had, I never said what I was. I thought it was obvious. 
So if you need to figure out deeper than what you can see, that's your issue. That's not my issue. But it was very clear in Europe, exotic. So I would have to say no, African-American, because they would also want to say, Africans would say they were Black. They would never want to say African-American. And well, they weren't American, but they would never want to have that label. So I think where you are is how you identify as well. Um, in order to have the conversation. But I was also told in France, in my own home, that I was not black, that I was not one of them, which then I had to, you know, we won't say that since this is being recorded, the choice words that I've then had the conversation with this lovely man to say to him, um, I'm confused and he wouldn't say the words, but I stood in France and in my other apartment with a friend who was German, we had rehearsal. I was there as a dancer. I've said that before. And we had gone out of rehearsal early and we had gone back to my apartment to have a glass of wine and like happy we had the afternoon off. And I'll never forget there was an impasse and there was a building across the way and we saw shadows. And we both jumped because all we saw was shadows. And then you could see the workmen and I'm going to use the word she looked me dead in my face and said, oh, it's just a bunch of niggers. I said, well, now, okay. Didn't blink, didn't miss the beat, went on, picked up her glass of wine and kept going. And so I had many options, as you may imagine. But in my head, I said, duly noted. I'm not excusing it. I'm not bringing it up. I no longer need to have a conversation with her because that didn't come from the bottom of her belly. That came from the back of her throat. And I understand that she is German. I understand the history, but none of that will be tolerated. And I said, well, that was an interesting choice of words. No, no, no. And I was like, you don't have to say anything else. Just drink up your wine and you can go on now. So people identify what they're comfortable with. People want to put you where they're comfortable. It's not about you unless you have to actually stand up and say, excuse me, incorrect. Sometimes in Europe, that fight got tiring. I never realized um, until an incident happened that I was acceptable exotic until I ran into another black American dancer at a class and I looked at her, I said, oh, are you going to the commercial shoot tomorrow? Do you have the address? You know, you help each other. And she was like, oh, I can't go to that. And I said, why do you, you know, do you need help? Do you need to find the way? Like I'm going, she goes, oh, I'm too dark. I'm too black, I can't get those jobs. Now I was already, the only black girl, the other two girls that were there that were dancers all the time that kind of was always casted were both mixed. It never dawned on me that someone that was darker than I was, because in my head, I, you know, it was always the dark girl, but there was someone darker than I that could not even show up for the audition. To this day, that bothers me to my core. And I was like, just come. She's like, I don't even want to go through it. But I understood what she meant. Add in, can I go into data now? Am I allowed? 
can I can I can I can I slide that in a little bit? It's gonna keep coming back and forth. You have permission. <laughs> so much for this being my webinar, huh? No. <laughs> so I'm in Vienna dancing, and I'm gonna tell American stories in both, but I, I am very sick. End up going to the hospital. And I was like, I have insurance. I have insurance. You know, back then when insurance was good and everyone actually had it. And the doctor said, oh, I can't be bothered with the paperwork. The doctor was much more interested in the fact that I walked into the hospital with the rock star of Vienna. Clearly he was white and from Vienna. And he kept saying, I don't understand. How did you all meet? And I just danced in there, did video, and I was on tour with them. And Yes, we were dating, but he was just so confused that how did this black American woman end up with the rock star in Vienna that he didn't even charge me? He was like, here, take the medicine and go. But that's the conversation he wanted to have. Is it the same conversation we're still having in 2020? Because I know that when I went to look for apartments, I was told you shouldn't show up, only let that person show up because they'll give it to him, they won't give it to you. And then when someone finally showed us the apartment, they said, oh, your name is Leslie, I'm Jewish, and I understand what it's like not trying to get an apartment here because they're not going to rent it to you. But they'll rent it to the white man. So let him come and sign the paperwork. Are we still dealing with this? Are couples still going through this? How are they raising their children? What kind of conversations are happening now? Or you as someone that's fixed, what conversations do you now still have to have with people? Are you being forced to decide which way you need to go in conversations in 2020? Since the conversations are about race? Since people just kind of woke up and said, ooh, where, people of color and black folks are here. If you have questions, feel free to jump in this open conversation. It is open, so anyone can ask their question. But until we get a question there, I'll just share a story as well, too, about a similar experience. Um, so just recently, too, I was talking with the startup founder here in New York. And one, I guess one of the privileges, I guess you could say I have, is that I have a, a Hebrew name. And so people assume before they actually meet me that I'm Jewish um, until they actually meet me. And they're like, oh, OK, wow, you're somebody completely different than I was thinking based upon that name. So I know it's gotten me it's 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 gotten me places and got me access to certain things when you're looking at my name on a resume or you're looking at my name on an application. Um, and it's also, you know, like I wouldn't say it, my colors also hindered me in certain situations as well. And so I was having this, um, you know, when you're talking about dating and when you're talking about, uh, you know, just how race is being viewed at this point, there's a recent conversation I had with someone that I met probably a year or so ago at a networking event. And him and I, he's a startup founder here in New York as well. Um, and we had a conversation in regards to how his experience as far as raising money compared to my experience about raising money for my startup. And it was oblivious to him, the struggles. Like it was, a, it was a very candid conversation. It came from an earnest place where he was asking questions, but he could not believe that, you know, race still plays a part in things here in 2020. And the conversation consisted of, he goes, hey, 
you know, like my idea is garbage, but I raised all this money on this idea and I've changed it like five or six times. And he goes, I still can't believe that. Like he thought I was lying that I was like, hey, well, when I go and talk to someone, yeah, I can get in the door when they see my name. But as soon as I get there, then they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't expect you to come in here. Not what I thought. Not what I thought. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, it's still happening here in 2020 where you, you literally have to almost do a balancing act, as you were saying, too. And just a side note to that, I had, a, I had an actual investor tell me on a conversation one time. He goes, maybe you should actually get a white person on your team. You know, you would have a little bit easier time raising money for your startup um, based upon that. So, so yeah, in 2020, it's still happening. And I know that's not really from a relationship standpoint, but like from a life standpoint, a societal standpoint, it is something it, it is something that's hindering to blacks and minorities as well. And um, and yeah, without even any merits on, hey, any merits on your business, any merits on, you know, the quality of what you're building. It's mostly just because like this color of your skin. And so, yeah, I can, I can raise my hand and say in 2020, yeah, that still is the case. In my event firm that I own, I never had my face anywhere for years. Um, and I purposely didn't put it on. But everyone was like, oh, you should put it out. No, I'm good. I want, my work needs to speak for itself. And then I would show up on sets and they're like, how do you know about lights? Or how do you know about this? Or how do you know about that? And Jen, I'm going to put you on the spot because you reminded me the other day. I totally forgot that you worked that event with me where they were just unbelievably, they were fine the entire time I was producing. The night of the event was disgusting. They waited, they treated, Jen, you tell part of it, the crew, because you saw it. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen. Um, I've worked with Leslie, where we were friends, and I've worked for Leslie for, you know, a number of years, and I was working an event for her this was not that long ago 2015 maybe and she approached me when i arrived and was like i'm gonna need you to be the point of contact um you know i just kind of do events on the side leslie as anyone that's worked with her knows like she's a boss she's running things uh and i was like you know why why do you want me to be the point of contact with the event, uh, the space, the owners of the space? And it was about race. She was like, they um, are going to have an easier time talking to you. So I'm going to talk through you. And I was horrified that that, but it taught me something, you know, it taught me how Leslie can be perceived and has to deal with as a level of which I'll never understand with people, you know, something she has years and years of experience doing. It's like, it, it was just such a all around horrible experience <laughs> to, have to do that. But I am glad I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm, it, I, I took something huge away from that night. It taught me something. Yeah. And you know, it still it still happens. And it will will it continue to happen? Probably. Will it change? Absolutely. The next generation that's coming up 
I believe mostly will be mixed. And so people will have to, and that's not only black and white, I'm saying culturally mixed. So people will need to either get on board or not, because that will be the majority as opposed to um, being still surprised when people show up to a restaurant, still having that side eye, you know, um, look at what's happening in commercials right now. Before it was rare that you would see clearly a black man with a white woman because we know that's good, not trying to have that happen. But what, you, what you're starting to see more and more is black women with white men in the commercials and mixed kids. Amen, hallelujah. <laughs> like, can we just be who we are? Can we just fall in love with who we fall in love with? But the, that we all know we can until what? You have to take somebody home. So I watched the movie the other day. Um, guess who's coming for dinner? It was on again. And I was like, oh, I need to sit and watch this. And wouldn't it be lovely if that was the ending? More times than not. Um, it's not always the case. That was a lovely fairy tale that they went through a couple of a day and everyone came to the, you know, came together. Uh, I remember getting married in Paris and someone, a, a friend, I'm doing air quotes for those of you that will be listening to the podcast, going, hey, did you call your parents and ask them what they thought about you marrying a white man? I said, why would I? They didn't marry him. I'm confused. Why do I need to, why do I need to ask them? But it made me think. So I called home and, you know, spoke to my mom and dad. I said, so, you know what? I never even, I never asked you, do you care that I married someone that's white? My mom's like, no, my dad's like, anyone that's going to put up with you 24 seven, good luck. Absolutely. Why? Like, and I realized I so was not raised that way. There's someone better than you, tall than you, short than you, fat you, all of that. You take people as they come to you in the spirit for which they come to you until they prove themselves otherwise. But that's great to be raised that way again in the house until you walk out the door and you feel like you need to be questioned or you need to justify where you or how you identify and where you want to fit in or how you fit in instead of just living. So my question is to anyone, how do we move past that or how do you deal with that? Anyone? Anyone? I don't want to put anyone in the spot. Come think, on, Scott. I think you should. <laughs> I think you should since. Well, I'm, so my name is Sky. I'm mixed race. I'm half black, half white. Um, I'm also, today's my birthday. I'm 44. So happy birthday. <laughs> but I wanted to say my age, particularly because of when I grew up, when my parents married, it was 1974. And so growing up in the nineties, it was, do you, are you black or are you white or what, what are you? Do you talk, you know, you don't talk like that. And I'm thinking, well, the rest of my black family talks the same way I do. So I don't know what you're talking about. And also to make this a regional thing, I, I, I was raised in Tucson, Arizona. 
So I'm not from the South and I'm not from Northeast and I've been to the South and I've been just like, what, where, where am I? And I've been to the East and it's like, it's completely different from here. So growing up mixed has been incredibly difficult. Now I look at it in 2020 and I thought, you know, nobody sees me. They just see me as me, as just a half black, half white woman. They ask me, what are you? often or they run my their fingers through my hair and I tell them I'm half black half white you know and what do you identify with well I'm half black half white <laughs> but I want to say something and you were saying something about about Jen having to go forward to represent you that where I work we've they've created this circle of the solidarity circles because of the the the, the protests and our company wants to embrace the racial culture and they say black, black lives matter. And I have my friend, there's only maybe four or five black people where I work and it's a large, um, it's a pharmaceutical company. And he's like, you need to go, you need to go up and, and you need to talk to them and tell them. I'm like, why, why, why me? He's like, because I'm a black man, I can't do it. And it's like, okay, so, being light-skinned has all of a sudden turned me into like Jen. Oh, now you're the, the easier black person to look at. So, and you can still represent us. And so you should go and talk to, and it's been very challenging for me because in the beginning, I didn't feel like I could say, well, I, I look at my skin color. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the same kind of, I get, I do get discriminated. I do get, you know, moments of racism and people do look at me, but not to the level that you do as a black, a dark black man. I said, there's a difference. And I'm having to learn that myself and my privileges. So I mean, new day. It, it is, it opened my eyes, but it opened his eyes. I'm like, what? I, you, I, because why me? Because it's easier to talk to me because it's easier to look at me because I come across as less, you know, scary to, to him. Yes. And so you have to know sometimes, usually I didn't care. That had been a long day setting up and watching them disrespect um, vendors that I had bought in that were doing favors for me, not for the shop, but for me. And to watch them disrespect it and me being at these people all day. By the time Jen walked in, I was like, I'm going to say something. And I don't let people take me out of my spirit. So I'm going to let you speak to them. And then, you know, I'm going to say no anyway. But <laughs> since they want to chat, I'm going to let them chat to you. I don't have time right now. And after that night, the woman who I had been good with for years never spoke to her again because she also never stood up that night and I said to her you never stood up and I won't forget that and you know and then you move on but yes in this day and age people are going you know it, it's a knee-jerk reaction we need to speak to somebody black anybody black and then they go Oh, but that one is a little nicer, maybe. And I'm like, really? You still don't get it. <laughs> you still don't get that we come in many shades. 
you still don't get that you have a lot to say. I do want to say something about, so I have children and I married a, a man who's Hispanic. And so they are what they call, what my daughter calls herself multigrain. It's just, it's a bunch, you know, yeah. and she, and the way that they were raised in the, in the, in the, in the time that they were raised, they aren't, they're just getting all of this. They're just seeing it. Like we weren't treated that way. Nobody treated us like I was mixed. It was, but then now they're starting to see it a little bit, but it's a different world. So my generation learning how to behave in 2020, how, how to be in 2020 compared to the way she is, and she's 20. So she's growing up with a lot of different things, you know, openness at school and yeah, <laughs> and she's coming okay, behind. <laughs> and, and then this is what she looks like. Welcome. <laughs> so we've been having conversations about it too you know she's they come they see have it from a from a different perspective than from me growing up in the 90s and so one of the reasons why I joined this and I saw this is it said mixed-ish or blackish as watching if you watch the show mixed-ish that is my life that is my life like exactly exactly same time same era same like am i a hip-hop girl or but i really love the sciences but i you know you don't hang out with the white girls or do i do this and i watch it and i'm like that is so neat and my kids watch it and they're like i don't get it i really don't get it and that's why we had to have the conversation because is it the same now do we care we have so many conversations about race but no one was saying anything about mixish and no one was saying anything about blackish we need to have this conversation as we have the conversation about race, because we're all feeling completely different. And then you have this new generation that is just like, grab a stick, let's go out and march. And you know, it's about humanity, let's do this. And they grab all their friends and they go. And you're like, oh, you just don't have the politicians up front holding the preacher? Like, you know, it, it's a different era of how we're looking at it. And I hope that this state, I hope that 2021 and 20 something when we're older is a, is, what did you say your daughter said? What is she called? She says multigrain. Multigrain, yes. <laughs> I <laughs> love she's that. Multi, she's multiple ethnicities and she's, you know, it's, she's Native American, Spanish, Mexican, black, white. She's, I love that because that's yeah. who we are. That's who we're supposed to be as a country. And let's be honest, that is who we are. I don't know yeah. if you saw the the image of was it Jefferson, um, the white Jefferson and the and his his history, a, a lineage, and it, it, they didn't look alike. All these years later, we are a mixed race. Now, I know somebody will hear this and, and do 15 cartwheels and, and spin around, but you won't have to do cartwheels and spin around. There is nothing pure of anyone. We are pure of blood of humanity, if you get it right. <laughs> Overall, we're coming from, and half of us don't know where we've really come from. Um, so we are all walking with pieces of culture and background and things we don't even understand yet. But yet the young folks in 2020 are like, let's do this. It's really that simple. 
Yep. I do want to say one comment. One thing that I'm recognizing is are, are the backhanded comments that I never paid attention to and I never knew. Like there was a woman who says, oh, you're black and you're white. You have the best of both worlds. And I was just, and, and, and to me, I'm thinking in my head, okay, she's, she's saying that I, I'm pretty. That's nice. But she's also saying that, you know, my white family is not good and my black family is not good. So, you know, these little backhanded comments like, oh, mixed babies are the best babies. Yeah. Or mixed baby, you know, you, it's, or you have the best genetics. Somebody told me Hitler got it wrong. We need to mix all the races. And I just was like, okay, you, this was a public comment to me. Right. And it was just, and this is why I, people ask me, what do I, why do I do this for a living? Is those types of comments yeah. that people are, they're so comfortable with. Yeah. And they're trying to, and I, and I, you know, for a long time, I was like, well, they're just trying to be kind. And I, I never really thought of it as bad, but it comes back to like the good hair thing. It's like, I don't have good hair. I just have loose curls. Like, what? it's just, <laughs> it's just different. It's not, you know, in, in teaching people that kind of, rhetoric and that type of talk is is helpful not to say that you know the mixed people have it better or you you can't that to me is like incredibly offensive and racist to me right it's like saying they are them you know they are them over there they're they're doing it better or, or they are better than we and i'm like mm, that's when you say them and them and not we and us <laughs> that, that's a backhanded like let them be over there, you know? And so, yeah, it, it is, uh, you know, growing up, it was, it was all about the light-skinned girl. You know, when I grew up in what, the eighties, it was all about the light skin. If you didn't have light skin and long hair as the black girl, then you were the dark black girl. And to anyone white, clearly you were just black, you know, and you're not going into the Girl Scouts and you're not gonna do this because we never did that. And in dance and ballet, I remember my teacher, one of my black teachers telling me that she had to get dressed in the broom closet because when the parents didn't want to see her getting dressed in the same dressing room, yet I could get dressed in the same dressing room. And so I took those stories with me my entire career. And when I fought for the dark wig, and when I fought to have my own makeup artist, because no, I'm not going to wear a blonde wig if it's not an avant-garde piece and it's not a joke, like they thought it was a joke. I always said, I'm fighting for the next young girls that's coming up behind me. I'm fighting so that they don't have to fight to prove that they're black and they can dance and that they deserve a dark wig. It's just all those little things that people take for granted it's like we said, when you're checking the sensors or you're going for a scholarship. So now let's talk about the check boxes that's happening with a lot of the grants at this moment. If you're in the tech world and you're black, you can get a grant. If you are not in the tech world and you're not and, and you're black, you're like this. Um, anything else gonna open up? Because <laughs> you don't really qualify for half of the other ones. Because now, for some reason, it's like tech is so, it's not diverse. So anyone that's black that wants to be in tech, we'll give you money. But don't, we don't, we're not doing anything else. Don't be a dog groomer. Don't try to do diversity inclusion. Don't teach yoga. Yeah, you know, we're not there yet with you. And so it's unbelievable the check boxes 
I will, I will say this, I will kind of interject there as well. Um, you know, just one thing, just one thing about the grants and to talk about both grants, one with like these PP, PP, whatever loans that came out. Um, I was just literally before this call was just reading something on it and only 2% went to black owned businesses. Um, disproportionately to the population of Black-owned businesses, we only got 2%. Um, Hispanic got less, just so you know. Well, actually, proportionally, at least the data that I saw, that as far as the, as far as the applicants that were Hispanic, that identified as Hispanic, they got 7% of what, of what it is. So it was bigger than what Black people got. I'm just, and I, I'll forward this to you afterwards. Oh, yeah, and I'll forward the one that I got yesterday. But, but yeah, um, either but, way, we didn't get half of the money. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, together, we still didn't get yes, money. <laughs> yes. And I and that just that just goes into the whole the whole like tech thing, since I am in tech. Um, it's interesting that these companies are now coming out saying that, hey, you know, we have these, you know, we're gonna donate this or we're gonna donate that. It's it rarely will black owned businesses that actually need them ever see this money. And I, I posted something up on LinkedIn about that as well. So it was a few years ago that Google actually committed $150 million to diversity and everything else of the sort. Five years later, it's still like, where did that $150 million go? You know, it definitely didn't go to at least people that I've seen when you go into like things like Crunchbase to see what funding went out there. So. I would say this when it comes like those grants that are out there. Yeah, people are waving out. Hey, we're giving out checks or whatever, but I'm actively having conversations with people and they ain't opening up their checkbook trying to write anything just as of yeah, it's all it literally is all for show. I feel all of PR these, these companies are doing because I think because the thing about it, instead of making a commitment to donate something to someone, make a commitment to hire people. To, yes. to bring that diverse voice that's coming in there. Don't just hand out a check to someone, you know, make a commitment to build the next, you know, headquarter number four of Google and, you know, Newark, New Jersey, someplace where it's really needed, where you can really change the community and really bring in the jobs that's going to change, make generational change, not just, hey, here's $2 million towards this. And the last thing I'll say as well is that everyone was like, what was it, Andreessen Horowitz, and I'm sure Groom can probably correct me on this, um, they had a, they had some grant with, I think it was like $2 million or $10 million, some minuscule number that they were giving, they were focusing on for black founders or whatever the case may be to go through this program. But what, the problem with that, what happens is, is that how many black businesses are there out there? So say, for example, there's a million black businesses out there in tech and you're $2 million. What's that going to do? That's a thousand dollars a company compared to the billions of dollars that you manage. And you check off and you give and you give to other companies. So I will say this. I mean, while tech, while people are saying like, hey, diversity in tech and we're, you know, we're trying to do this for black founders, it probably will not trickle down to the people. actually. Let's, let's be honest. All of this is happening that they're reaching out, saying diversity and whatever. Someone will look at Sky and they'll be like, target woman, black, white. Oh, oh, husband. Like. It, it's the golden, and they're like, we checked it, we're good. And they're, and they're checking multiple boxes with that. Just, just if it was a family exactly. business, they're checking off like five or six boxes to go into the census to say that, they're oh, we checked off all these things, we're done. And, and you know, and, and then governments, someone shows up and they'll be like, 
well, who's all this? There she is. You know, and, and you're like, wait, but I thought you had a diverse, oh yeah, we do. And so it's amazing where we're going. So when we look at this, I, again, it's how companies are classifying, identifying, want to identify. It's the same thing with, you know, when I speak about diversity, I always make sure I'm speaking about LGBTQ plus plus and disability as well. So they're quick to check off one or two boxes, but they don't want to do anything. They just want to check that box. So the sensors boxes we know, what's going to happen with that? Because, you know, it's a, it's a proven fact that in lower income communities, the sensors doesn't get filled out. And then you're wondering why the hospitals aren't there and the trash cans aren't on the corner and the post offices aren't there and all those other things. And if someone had the nerve to say to me, well, that's not diversity and inclusion, Leslie, the census. I was like, oh, it absolutely is. It definitely is part of that. Look when you're going for scholarships for colleges or schools. You know, so you have that group that are for African American or yeah, you know, they have all kinds of things you can do, but you have to go look for half of them. And how many of them are there as opposed to other scholarships that's available? And then now we have the reverse where a woman just sued this week because she said she lost a job because she was white. Now, bless her. I, 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 that's a different conversation right now. But it's just like, but it is, it is real of what's happening out here, how it's being classified, how you have to identify, and how you have to, how you, I, we, I'm going to put it all in that, have to feel that we constantly have to explain who we are. Why in 2020 do I still need to say I'm a black chick? I'm confused by that. But in this last, like I said, month and a half, I've had to be clear on that. I've had to say it's Black Lives Matter, but I've had to say my Black Lives Matter, my skin, my soul, my spirit when I walk out the door. Because see, my neighborhood may know who I am and the good stuff that I do and all of that. And I'm the girl that pops down the street and waves to everyone. But when I get on the train, no one has my resume. No one cares about my resume. I'm just another black chick standing on the, on the track. And God forbid I bump somebody or in the way or somebody's just having a bad day. I'm just another black chick. So every time we walk into a room, though it is not my thought, my personal thought, it is always where am I walking into? And I will own the room and take the room because that's who I am, but I'm also scanning that room. And I also have no problem to go if I know the people that's running that room to say, did you forget to invite some folks? And I'll never forget, I was at a breakfast that, you know, for, for the organization that I, you know, it was a room full of Jewish folks. I, I was the only black female. There was the one um, black politician that was speaking and my table was further in the back with a bunch of the activists. But he said something and I was like, Whoa! and when I met him after, I was like, I was a black girl on the back screaming. And he just started laughing. He was like, I thought that was just back there. I was like, because they didn't understand what you said. No one else in here understood what you said. It just went right over. 
and so it's conversational. You know, I always say, um, just because you're dating someone or married to someone doesn't mean you have the permanent ticket to the picnic. It means you have a better understanding, hopefully, that you get certain things. It doesn't mean you know everything. <laughs> what, what I, <laughs> I was I was debating whether I was going to throw a little comment in there, but um, since we're recording this, I probably will not throw that comment in there. I, I, well, I will say, I will say, it's it's interesting that you were saying that they have a ticket or they hope they get a ticket to the barbecue. Um, no, I won't, I won't, I won't put this comment. Sorry. To, sorry. <laughs> Clean it up and come back to that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you needed a song. No, look, it's, but it goes both ways. I can't show up somewhere I think I'm in everywhere just because I may be with someone that's not part of my everyday culture and nor should they assume. What happens is you hope that you can learn and continue to grow from each other. And then, I, you know, I've had couples say, especially during this pandemic, I'm really surprised. I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know that was the thought process. And there's a great, um, woman that I've been following on Instagram, a white woman who's married to a black man that has a child and said they went away up in the mountains somewhere with a bunch of friends. But when they drove into town to stop for stuff, he picked up, he, he got the spidey sense of what are you doing here? And why are you with that? Woman? He got the spidey sense. And so when they went to go do something, he's like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm a stay. Which of course started a fight. Well, why are you staying? You came up here to be a friend. He's like, go have fun. I don't feel well. And she came back still heated. And he was just like, you didn't get the spidey sense. I got the spidey sense. I'd rather stay peaceful in this house that we've all rented than to have to deal with that. Because if I deal with that when I go out, it's going to be something different. And she said it took her a moment to realize why there was times that he would say, no, just go. And that's a hard time sometimes to always feel like you have to, even with your partner, have to still explain the spidey sense is up and I'm not in the mood for that conversation today or the side eye. You know, I was walking down the street years ago with the guy that, white guy, we were coming from a business meeting. And we're laughing, we were eating, we were just walking down the street. And this is in the East Village. And this is what I heard, jungle fever. And I had to turn back around because I was like, yo, what year are we in? Like, I was so confused. Like, really? Just because two people were walking down the street. And then it was just really, that's so much about them than that is about us. I, I will add that the East Village is a lot better now in 2020. Um, the East Village is one of the best neighborhoods, I think, in New York City that you can be yourself and you can walk around and not be judged, um, whatever lifestyle you live or the way you want to live your life. So I will say that that has changed. Um, I always thought the East Village was the village was. I grew up in the village. That's where you could hang out. Like, but no, not that night. <laughs> Talking about New York to me is like, so when I go to, when I've been to New York, I feel like I finally disappear. 
I don't stand out anymore. And I'm like, oh, I feel so relaxed and so relieved. <laughs> so you hearing you, you talk about the different parts of it. It's to me, it's like, oh, it's, this is great. I'm not standing out because here I do. I wanted to mention one thing about what, what I believe shows the difference between recognizing when there's a difference and not recognizing it. So I went to a wedding and it was a white friend of mine and she was marrying a white man and everybody there was white. And I looked around and I looked around and I let, said to one of my other friends, I'm like, everybody's white here. She goes, why would you notice something like that? And I'm like, okay, okay, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't say anything. And now as we've been having more conversations, she's like, I can't believe I said that. And she, I'm like, yeah, now I'm thinking I should have said, why don't you notice that, you right. know? So I actually spoke to the bride and I, and we've been having conversations on and off. And I said, did you know that I was, did, did you recognize that I was the only black person there? And she goes, yep, I did. I sure did. And there weren't any people that were gay and there weren't any lesbian. There was no, there was no diversity at my wedding. She goes, absolutely. And I don't, and it's, it's horrible. Like she, like she recognized it. She saw it. Yeah. So I do a little quiz that when I'm doing trainings and I did it and this woman said to me, I am not biased and I am not a racist. I said, I did not call you a racist. That's a different word. We all have bias. And, and I said, we're going to just take this little quiz. And by the end of the quiz, and it was really about who you are and, and stuff like this. Who's invited to your house for dinner and who's invited to your weddings and that type of thing. Who comes into your house? If they only look like you, you need to think about that. If you are only socializing, if your church only looks like you, if your supermarket only looks like you, then you may hang out with people after work, but they're not part of your community and they're not part of your life. So therefore you need to maybe re-examine that. And when I used to do weddings and I did tons of Jewish weddings, so I was definitely normally the only black person there actually running the wedding. And I'll never forget the family. I was collecting cards as they were coming in and introducing people in and things sit down. And they went to the, the bride's father and said, I, I gave the card to, you know, to the black girl. He was like, that's the only person you better give it to. You know, they're like the father. And he's like, that's the only person that should be touching any money. And she's like, oh, I'll let the others know. Because people were holding on to their card. But on the flip side, I've done, I don't know how many weddings. I've only done two black weddings. And one was huge. It was four locations, one day. And I had one of the white girls that was working for me. I was like, you're a bulldog. You stand by the money card thing downstairs. Black folks came in and did not want to give her the card. They were not giving her that money card. And so I said, so we can't, again, it's not black or white. It's people and culture and what you're conditioned to do or to be. And that's the conversations we also need to have. We can talk about, like you said, throwing money at things or sponsoring things. But until we have an education on understanding why we do the things that we do or say the things that we say, then we need to, um, we need to step back 
just throwing money at just a black company and not knowing anything about who you're willing to help means nothing. Hiring any diversity, whether it's disability or a black or mixtures or black, and not understanding how to welcome them in, inclusion, not belonging. I think we all know that I feel that belonging belongs to a club. Not you, you, your inclusion is actually having a voice within that space and a valid voice within that space. If you're not understanding how that works together, then you're missing the entire point of wanting anything or anyone diverse because you don't understand how to make sure that they're included in. So now what? Then you turn around and say, I told you it didn't work, or I told you those, those types are lazy, or I told you they were supposed to be smart. You know, I speak to my Asian friends, they're like, yeah, I can hire, and they come to me with the math problem. I'm like, I don't know. You'll have a calculator? You'll have an iPhone? <laughs> because that's the perception. And now, like I have friends when I lived in Japan, and so they, some of the black guys have married Asian women. So now you have mixed kids and they get the, oh, well, you have to speak Japanese or you have to be black or you have to decide which way you're gonna go. Can we, can we, not, can we decide that I have many ways I wanna go? Do I have to be one sort of black or one sort of mixish or one sort of white? Can, can we not figure this out? You know, when I worked for Hoover the Collection and everyone told me I was making the biggest mistake of my life because I wasn't black enough to work there. Now, granted, I was not hip hop enough. I didn't know a hit from a hop. I'll be the first to say that. I didn't know a rap from a rapper. I did not. I just come back from Europe. If you would like to have crumpets of tea or wine and cheese, I'm all over that. But I knew people, I knew marketing, and I knew branding, and I knew PR. And I knew how to have a conversation. And I realized love is love did not mean they actually got you. Love is love is just the same. They don't really actually have the stuff they said they were going to do. I learned that very quickly. So you figure it out. But people want to automatically put you into categories by how you speak or how you look or what makes them feel comfortable. So this is a conversation that I know will continue. <laughs> At some point, one of the things I'm thinking about for next week is words have meaning. And we are really quick to throw out a whole bunch of words or a whole bunch of phrases or label someone without understanding the meaning or the implication, of, as you said, Scott, of what that actually means. So I'm looking at kind of doing that um, as, as next week. As always, I thank you for joining. You know, you can find the YouTube channel, Kava Group, the podcast is Visibility Unlimited. I love having these conversations. Thank you for joining. Sky, I really appreciate you joining. Welcome to the crew. Everyone here that didn't turn their camera on, you know I love you. Um, always come as you are. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Good night. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And you will join us again soon at Visibility Unlimited. Thank you.